Hello, I'm Maria Ramper, and welcome to Engineering Reimagined, a podcast series in which we talk to leaders from all walks of life to help us understand how we can co-create a better future for our planet, communities, and individuals. Circular economy has become a buzz phrase in recent years as communities and countries set net zero carbon goals and adopt a less linear approach to how we use our natural and built resources. But what does it actually mean and how can we realistically achieve it? In this episode, Oricon's technical director, Water, John Poon, discusses this topic with Sarah Thompson, General Manager Strategy, Governance and Finance at Goulburn Valley Water. Goulburn Valley is a region in Victoria in Australia's south with a strong agricultural economy. In fact, 90% of the land is used for primary production and $2.5 billion is generated from food processing. These industries are integral, not only to the communities that support them, but to the whole of Australia and its export markets. For this reason, the need to ensure this region can prosper into the future is essential. Sarah tells a story about how a realisation that water is at the centre of everything led Goulburn Valley Water to engage with regional partners across agriculture, manufacturing and energy to collaborate on a circular economy roadmap for a net zero carbon future and a prosperous and resilient community. Let's hear how this collaborative approach is making the step change required to achieve a circular future and how we can learn from this region to build circular economies elsewhere. got an amazing background. You've worked for World Vision, WaterAid, before joining Golden Valley Water. So what are some of the things that have inspired you professionally, personally, about water and the role it plays in our daily lives? I probably started a very long time ago. Rosie Wayne, who happens to be the CEO of WaterAid, she was an old school friend, actually. And um I went overseas to Timor when, in my early 20s to go and see her where she was volunteering. We take for granted our access to water and, and sanitation mm. in developed countries, but it becomes so apparent when you're in a developing country what water means and what sanitation means. Send me on a trajectory of actually working for NGOs, that little visit that I did with Rosie, and I think it's taught me a lot. I know this podcast is about engineering reimagined and that engineers might want to think about actually making sure that you're broad in your thinking about how engineering fits in societies. I remember starkly sitting on the balcony in Timor and looking at some water tanks that were put in by a Norwegian NGO and they were just left there unused. Mm. And Essentially, that was because they hadn't thought about the broader society and how to actually get people in that village understanding what that water tank meant. So the minute they left, it was just left unused. It was a great water tank, but it didn't work. <laughs> that, to me, is engineering reimagined, is really seeing that technology on the context of society. That story also speaks to me as well. I've done... A Is bit it? of work in India as well. And, yeah. and uh, yes, I've seen this thing yeah. happen. And uh, yeah, 
And we do take a lot for granted. We certainly do. Yeah. yeah, so that, that's where my passions come from for water and wastewater. Now, just getting on to your other big passion area, which is circular <laughs> economy. So we know there's a big growing focus on embedding circular economy principles into all sectors of business and life. So when we talk about circular economy, just for our listeners here, what what are we talking about here? What does it really mean? For me, it's about thinking about the economy in a different way. Previously, it was what we call a linear economy where we dig up a resource, we make something out of it, and then we pretty much chuck it out. The circular economy, it is about um, actually trying to reduce the damage to the environment um, by reducing the amount of stuff that we take out in the first instance, but also making sure that the resources that we've already taken out or we've made that we put into, that we reuse as much as we can. So it sort of becomes a circular use of resources rather than just chucking things out and which ends up causing a lot of carbon emissions. 45% of carbon emissions comes from waste. (laughs) So if we can eliminate that, that makes a, you know, it it does create... um, a lot of reduction in carbon emissions, which would be great. We need to adapt, change mm-hmm. to meet this new approach. It's all part of becoming that net zero emissions mm. future, right? It's really interesting in the context of developing countries who previously were accepting a whole lot of our waste have said, no, get lost, we don't want it. And so and I think that's fantastic. They shouldn't be taking our waste and us wrecking their their environments. Actually, we need to be looking after ourselves and not, using the planet as a rubbish tin. does sound Mm. uh, awfully uh, flagrant. What are some of the social and economic benefits that you can see from a circular economy? We've got some fairly old-fashioned thinking about the economy because the economy shouldn't be just about, you know, that shouldn't be the end point. The social and the economy should be the same thing. So Mm. there's a really terrific economist out of England called Mariana Mazzucato, and she is talking about changing economic theory to really think about value. What does value mean? And value should be grounded in social. So the circular economy is the answer to bringing those two things together really well. It's a new way of thinking about economics. It's really powerful. I know that your own journey is about regional prosperity Mm and Mm. resilience and I think that talks volumes Mm. about that. Yeah, we've been in an entirely different really disrupted world with COVID and now we've got what's happening in the war in Ukraine and that is changing the economic dynamics really quickly. Petrol is a lot more expensive, gas is a lot more expensive and urea, one of the fertiliser inputs, is incredibly expensive. That one's tripled in the last year. Over 90% of that is coming from China. What does that mean for our supply chains? That's the kind of thing that we can think about in circular economy in terms of producing that kind of uh, product here using waste. So we can use our waste to produce hydrogen. Hydrogen can produce ammonia and ammonia can become urea and we could produce that here. Yeah, it was an exciting launch, the uh future ready renewable hydrogen ecosystem project which is being Mm. led by Goulburn Valley Water. Where else do you see the water sector playing in the circular economy? The water sector 
It's fascinating. We started this work probably about two years ago. I think I read Ross Garno's book on, you know, mm. what the opportunities uh, well, it was about Australia becoming a superpower in a, a net zero circular economy. We decided to invite him to come and talk to our community two years ago. That just started the thinking about, from the water corporation's view, what is our role in community and what is our role as a water corporation? And that piece of work has grown over a period of time. And what we've kind of realised over actually the Water Corporation is potentially at the centre of this. Mm. We've pulled together a white paper called Embedding Regional Resilience Using the Circular Economy. And what the content is actually getting to is water corporations are potentially at the centre of some of this circular economy piece, particularly in that water, energy and waste nexus. And probably we'd add in their agriculture, food in there as well. But because we produce water, and I think one of the key pieces of where we're going is hydrogen is potentially part of the solution, it will be the fuel of the future. To produce hydrogen, you have to have water. The Water Corporation is the one that has the water that is clean enough to produce the hydrogen. So we have to be at the centre of that. But in addition to that, we've got connections with residential and major industrials so we can think about you know what could we do with hydrogen as well as biogas so we produce a lot of biogas from our industrial wastes so we could actually use that to put that into the grid we can access a lot of research through organizations such as Water Research Australia and we've got funding so it's actually strangely a really great match we have the potential to be a trusted broker for this shift to a net zero circular economy. I think water does indeed have a big role to play and I'm trying to trying to uh, search my mind to think of what you could do with without the presence of water and there's, there's mm. very few things you yeah. could do mm. in everyday life without water. What are some of the biggest barriers or key challenges about how would we go and implement circular economy? I always start with the people and they're both a challenge and they are the source of how things will actually happen. So I focus a lot on people and relationships and collaboration. You know, with the project that we've been doing, it's taken a while for people to get their heads around what it could mean. I think we're getting there now. At the start, it was like, oh, what is this circular economy? Can someone explain this to me simply? I had so many of these questions. And so it's been taking some key influences and people on a journey of this is circular economy, this is the opportunity, this is what we, we could and should do, where we're now at the point we've got key people across the line, they're kind of like, yeah, we can see this possibility now. Uh, to the extent where we've got um, the Committee for Greater Shepparton in our launch of the Hydrogen Readiness Project, as well as a lot of the major industrials also seeing the possibility of collaborating and working together to um, make the most of the circular economy and actually seeing the benefit of collaboration. I think one of the major barriers is, again, uh, older fashioned notions about economics 
really is a barrier around competition. I'm not saying there's not a place for competition, for circular economy to genuinely work. You actually have to have really strong collaboration and you have to have trusting partnerships that within that trusting partnership, you can innovate. Because once you start competing, it becomes much harder to share information and feel comfortable in that innovation space. Some of our procurement requirements in government, you know, they've absolutely got their reason to be there. I get that. It is a potential barrier to getting the kind of collaboration and partnerships going that you need to have going to innovate. Because a circular economy requires huge amounts of collaboration for it to work, to even share information about what, what waste you've got and who else could use that waste. I think technology is incredibly important. We've got to make sure that, that the costs of the technology are reducing. So, for example, electrolyzers for hydrogen, the cost of those will need to decrease a lot for it to be a cost competitive. I think we also need to have incentives in market for businesses to use recycled products and uh, use low carbon uh, emitting energy and products needs to be regulated to actually set up the right incentives for businesses to act in, in the way that's going to preserve our environment and our planet. Finland was one of the first countries in the world to develop a circular economy roadmap. Singapore got a, a circular economy roadmap. The Singapore Green Plan 2030 been working mm. collaboratively with uh, an enormous array of mm. customers and stakeholders to yes. make circular economy happen. Yeah, maybe you could talk about Not some six. of those some of those uh, relationships. We have manufacturing, agriculture, and transport hub. But what we've been doing is reaching out to. We started with our major industrials, so some big iconic brands like SBC, um, Bega Cheeses, and we reached out to them and, and tried to understand from them what their aspirations were in, in circular economy and energy. They were all very, um, they were all thinking about it separately, um, but what became really apparent was that they could see the benefits of collaboration if Goulburn Valley Water was able to bring together a collaboration, that they would be very interested in working together to get a good outcome. You know, in economic terms, this kind of uh, circular economy is a public good. It's something that each individual company is less likely to do by themselves. But if government invest a little bit, I think that we can actually grow the whole pot so it's one of those things where it, it is justified in economic terms to for government to invest a little bit to uh, create a, a significant benefit for our whole community. I mean, you talked about industrials and mm. the manufacturing sector and obviously lots of energy use, fuel use in those areas, very heavy users of that. Another heavy user is transportation, which is a particularly difficult mm. area of carbon emissions to abate. So what, what do you see happening in this area here around zero emissions transportation? And I think hydrogen mm. probably has a role to play in that area there. The heavy transport is looking like it's it's definitely going to be in the hydrogen space. So we've got organisations like Heisen who are actually doing some interesting stuff. They're doing both 
electric and hydrogen. I think that's probably where the future is for our heavy vehicle fleet. Victorian government is setting up hydrogen hubs and they're also setting up this Hume Highway hydrogen. Hume Hydrogen Highway. It's a bit of a mouthful. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, hydrogen will play a future in the transport and logistics for our area. Some of this technology is already available, coming out now. That's the interesting thing for our region is that, you know, we're seeing this as a big opportunity. Can we get the businesses here that support hydrogen? Could we get an electrolyzer business here? Let's move on to some of the Mm -hmm. pathways that we see developing for Goulburn Valley in creating a circular economy in a nutshell. What does it mean for the community, businesses and the environment? For our region, we're absolutely seeing this transition to a net zero circular economy as an opportunity. It allows our businesses to really take that clean green credentials to the next level um, and that makes them more competitive. So from the business perspective, it's going to become more and more important over uh, coming years. Carbon offsets, which are quite interesting. If we're clever about how we do our carbon offsets, working with organisations like the Catchment Management Authority, we can set them up in corridors and make sure that we are getting uh, biodiversity values from those carbon offsets in the best possible way. There's lots of benefits that we can we can get from thinking in a circular way. We probably should acknowledge the recently released uh, IPCC report mm. uh, into uh, that climate change mitigation and and what we're talking about here today is very much about acting mm. on some of those recommendations. So in terms of designing circularity into our future work, our infrastructure, our economic systems, our business systems, how critical do you think this will be? I think it will become it will become just the normal way of thinking and doing things mm. over over the next five, 10, 15 years. It will become the normal way of thinking for, about things from the outset. How are we making sure that we're integrating circular circular economy thinking into our process designs, into all, all of our engineering and all of our sort of social? Remember when the concepts were first, I uh, was introduced to them and it was such a penny drop for me. It was kind of like, yep. this is this is really significant. You know, there's been this whole narrative about we can't keep, you know, the GDP growing because we're just going to wreck the planet. But what the circular economy does is answer that. It says, actually, you can keep the, we can all keep being pr- prosperous and actually keep growing our economies, but it has to be done in a certain way for it to not wreck our environment. And if you do it that way, we can maintain, you know, a good lifestyle at the same time as, um, you know, uh, treating our planet a bit better than we have. I think, Sarah, you, you touched on that topic earlier, um, the old way of economics, and I think there's probably a little bit of that in the old way of engineering. And maybe there might be some advice you might want to, uh, advice, guidance you might want to give to engineers, future engineers as well. How do we drive this shift? How do we become mm-hmm. part of the solution? 
you can get very channel visioned about these things if you 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 know you're an engineer and you know me being a finance or a economics person you can get very channeled in your thinking but what i'd really encourage the engineers of the world to do is be really good at the engineering there's no doubt that that is critical and that but what what you need to do at the same time is think a little bit broader than that about what is the society around the engineering that you're doing and how do you bring people and that society along on a journey because often engineers are way out in front right they're they're very technically fantastic and I think if you combine that technical brilliance with being able to bring people along on a journey and to really think about who you're going to get get involved in this project to make it work I think that's really critical the other piece is probably being very aware of the politics as well I don't think you can be naive about the politics of what you're working with and you've got to be aware of you know small p politics but also big p politics as well so what's happening federally state and local and be aware of how you can use that dynamic to shift things sometimes you've got to step into that space to make things work thanks very much sarah for uh, being so generous to provide your, your uh, thoughts, stories about circular no economy. and No worries. Can I end on a uh, quote that I really, I picked up oh. from the Australian Financial Review and it's from the uh, chair of Bega Cheeses, uh, <laughs> Barry Irvin. I love this quote. It says, uh, and it's thinking about the future and kind of how customers are thinking and I think it's very relevant for circular economy as well. So he says, the 2030 customer will want to know how you treat your farmers. They'll want to know how your farmers treat their animals and how they treat their land. They will want to feel comfortable with all that, but also about how you manufacture this product and what is your footprint as you run your factory, how you treat your people and how you treat the communities that you operate in. And by the way, how did you deliver this to me? I just think that's the nicest way of capturing sort of circular economy in a very accessible way. (laughs) That sums it up. So thanks very much, Sarah. Circular economy continues to be a topic that we will need to explore across our communities if we want to achieve our net zero carbon goals. We hope you enjoyed this discussion about how one community has used collaboration to help design a circular future. We will explore this topic more in future episodes. So please stay tuned by following Oricon on socials and subscribing to Engineering Reimagined wherever you listen to podcasts. Until next time, thanks for listening.